this is Matt. I'm the lead pastor at Westminster Baptist Church. Thanks for engaging God's word with us. My prayer for you is that this would be supplemental to your discipleship journey. Uh, if we can connect you with a local church or a discipleship group, uh, please contact us at info at discoverwbc.com. be in Acts chapter 5, and as we go through this passage, I want you to be thinking about God's ways and man's ways. What, uh, is there anything in your life that you are doing right now that is in conflict or coming up against what God is doing in this world? Sometimes this is subtle. Like Sometimes we don't realize that what we are doing is actually combating what God is doing, because sometimes it's not intentional, right? Sometimes we don't we're not doing it in a way that we're like, man, we're trying to come against, against God, but it's just what we are doing is coming up against God. Sometimes it feels like, man, we're doing something good, but it's coming up against God. And so what we're going to dig into today is a story of a group of uh, religious leaders who are attempting or thinking that what they're doing is supporting God's ways, but really they have chosen their own ways, and it is combating God's movement in the world. So we're going to look at verse 17. It says in chapter 5 of Acts, Then the high priest rose up, he and all who were with him, who belonged to the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. So they arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. And if you've been with us through this series, this Acts series, we've seen sort of the frustration from the leadership, the Sanhedrin, but it's, it, this is a moment and there's going to be a couple moments where I kind of, I'm just surprised. There's astounding moments that happen and take place. Because you would think before this, there must be something worth throwing some people in jail about, right? Because it says that they're, I mean, I mean we see they're jealous, but it says they throw them in jail. So what did they do to make them throw them in jail? And you've seen over the past, you've seen that the, uh, the, the apostles were performing miracles. They were leading people into salvation. Uh, they were le- letting the, uh, uh, those who couldn't walk, walk. Those who couldn't see, see. Those who didn't have food, had food. Those who didn't have provisions, had provisions. Like they were caring for the world. And so you get to this point, it says they threw them in jail, and we ought to all just go, Why? Like we, we all should just be like, what, is, what took place that led to this point? And if you'll back up with me, verse 12 of chapter 5, it says, Many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. So first, this is something good. I wanna, I'm going to show you four good things from 12 through 16. First, many signs and wonders were taking place. This is something good. Second, verse 13, no one else dared to join them, but the people spoke well of them. There was integrity amongst the leadership. The leadership was healthy. Signs and wonders, healthy leadership. Verse 14, believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, multitudes of both men and women. People were coming into the church. The church was growing. Healthy leadership, uh, movement of God through signs and wonders, and the church was growing rapidly. Three great things already taking place. Verse 15, As a result, they would carry the sick out into the streets and lay them on cots and mats so that when Peter came by, at least a shadow might fall on some of them. In addition, a multitude came together from the towns surrounding Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Miracles, healthy leadership, growing church, and salvation both here and now and for the future are taking place in verses 12 through 16. You get to verse 17 and you see the jealousy in the leadership and they throw them into jail and we all ought to be like, what are you doing? 
Like, this is a great movement of God. This is awesome stuff taking place in, verse, in verses 12 through 16. Why would you try to stop that? And I want you to key in on a particular name here, the high priest. It's really a role or a title. But the high priest was someone who was instructed with a couple things, but primarily to oversee the sacrifices and to proclaim the good news of God to the nations, first to Israel and to the nations. So when it says, in, in, when Peter tells us that we are the priesthood of all believers, uh, priesthood of believers, it means that we are to proclaim the good news to the rest of the world. So the high priest's responsibility was to preach. But what do they do to those who are preaching? First, in verse 18, they throw them in jail. So it says in verse 19, But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night, brought them out, and said, Go and stand in the temple and tell the people all about this life. Hearing this, they entered the temple at, at daybreak and began to teach. You see, when God is doing a movement, man tries to step in and stop it, but God always makes a way. Like man's objective was throw them in jail, lock them up, make them captives, and God was like, I set the captives free, Right? Like, that's just who he is. That's what he does. So when they throw them into jail, he sets the captives free, and they go out and they preach the gospel. God's ways are different than man's ways. Man's ways were to silence what God was doing, and God's ways was to make it possible. It says in verse, um, continue verse 21. When the high priest and those who were with him arrived, they convened the Sanhedrin, the full council of Israelites, and sent orders to the jail to have them brought. Okay, so again, Okay, that didn't work to throw them in jail. So what are we going to do next? Right? Man's ways step back in. It's like God's moving. God's doing these things. And if we could just take a moment, step back for a second, and just ask this question. If you were seeing miracles being performed and thousands being added to the church and all these things were taking place, shouldn't we be a little bit like, hey, what's going on? What's the Lord doing here? Rather than just like trying to shut it down and throw people in jail and like stop things, shouldn't we be just kind of stepping back and going, okay, People who wouldn't, weren't able to walk are walking. Like Jesus, that man of Nazareth that we thought we could just crucify and end everything, that dude's walking again, and he happens to be the Lord and Savior of the world. Like, shouldn't we investigate a little bit if people are walking who couldn't walk, seeing who couldn't see, talking who couldn't talk, and people who didn't have provisions are being provided for, and Jesus is walking and now moving through his believers? Shouldn't we investigate? Nope, let's silence them. That's man's ways, though, right? Don't, don't we sometimes get caught up in this kind of thing, though? Like, I think even in churches, we do this. Like, we see other churches, and God's moving in different cities and different places, and we're like, man, kind of that jealousy wells up in us, and it's like, man, why is God working over there? What do we need to do? Like, what do we need to shift? Immediately when we ask that question, I or we, if it starts with I or we, just stop. It should start with what is God doing, not what am I doing not what are we doing, but what is God doing? But oftentimes we, we try to insert ourselves in there and say, okay, no, but what can we do? Verse 22, here's what they try to do. When the servants got there, they did not find them in the jail, so they returned and reported. We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing in front of the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. This is not good, right? This is not good for the jailers. Uh, for the people who are watching over the jail, for the people who are reporting them, like any scenario, not good. Because it was their responsibility to watch over those who were held captive, right? And we've seen this before. We're seeing it again. The situation is this. The jailers are going to be held responsible for letting these people go, but God let them go because they were trying to hold them down. This is what God does. This is what he always does. And so for the people, they see this scenario, and here's, what the, here's, what it, uh, here's how they respond. Verse 24. As the captain of the temple police and the chief priests heard these things, 
they were baffled about them, wondering what would come of this. I thought another surprising moment because you think about it, and I think this happens oftentimes in our life when we're so um, focused on what man is doing rather than what God is doing, we start to only see what man can what man can do rather than what God can do, right? So they're focused on what man has done. We threw him in jail. Now he's not in there. What did man do? Right? They were so focused on what men can do that they were baffled about these things. It's like, why are you surprised? This guy just healed people who, who, who could never have healed themselves. No men could heal them. Nobody could help them walk. Nobody could help them see. Only God could do these things. And God is doing it. And you're surprised that he unlocked some, some locks? You're surprised that he set the captives free? It's what he always does. Like if anybody should know that God does those things, it should be these Sanhedrin, the leaders of the Jews who were set free from the largest empire of their day from Egypt. Like he should remember these stories. God sets the slaves free. God sets the captives free. It's what God does. But they were baffled. So be careful that we don't set our minds on things of man so much so that we only see what man can do. But rather we set our mind on what God is doing so that we see what God is able to do. Verse 25, someone came and reported to them, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple and teaching the people. This was the worst time to say this, right? Terrible timing. If you're trying to find a right time, this is like when your children come to you and like there's an issue and you're like, y'all are fighting and discussing things. And you're like, man, you know, one of them's yelling at the other one and, 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 and they're probably getting angry and there's a little bit of uh, um, just like disobedience involved with it. And tell me, come on, it just gets frustrating, right? You're trying to calm yourself down, but they're frustrated. And you're like, how do I handle this situation? And then somebody walks in to that situation. They just like drop a little bomb on it. They're just like, hey, did you know that, uh, that your water sprinkler has been going for eight hours straight outside? And you're like, my kids are fighting. Like, what, what do we do? Would you turn it off for me or something? Like, you know what I'm saying? They come in and they say, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And, and you can just imagine the frustration just building. It's, it's just the jealousy, the stubborn, the pride welling up within them. Verse 26, then the commander went with the servants and brought them in without force because they were afraid the people might stone them. I, I think, I think that, that is just a, a testimony that it's God's ways, not man's ways, right? Like the, the disciples, the apostles are focused on what God is doing, not what man is doing. That when they left, like you put yourself in this position, you get thrown into jail, miraculously in the night or miraculously sometime, God lets you free, even though there's guards all around. God sets you free, you walk free, and you go back to the temple to preach. Like, that's where you got arrested. That's where your, your Savior was condemned and then crucified later. Like, wh- why? If, if, like, smart, God's way, uh, man's ways, like, smart thinking, logic, wisdom, would say, go to the hills. Like, separate yourself. Maybe try to find some safety in Rome or out in Galilee or, like, get in the catacombs. Like, go to somewhere where these leaders won't find you, right? That would be logical. But they don't follow what man does. They follow what God does. And so when the, and I think that keys us into why when these uh, servants and these uh, temple uh, leaders and these political guards come to get them, they just go back to jail. You're like, why did you just walk? Like, why are you walking back to jail without fighting? 
Like, think about that for a second. And I think it's all about this. Peter has his eyes fixed on God's plan. Like, he is not worried about what the men are doing. He's not worried about what the Sanhedrin's doing. He's just not worried about those things. Like, he's praying, preaching, and just kind of going about his life, honoring and glorifying God. And I love that because he just goes back quietly, and everybody around them, he doesn't make a ruckus to make people, like, uh, um, just revolt or, like, try to defend them or, as they say, stone them. He just goes back to jail. Verse 27, after they brought them in, they had them stand before the Sanhedrin, and the high priest asked, didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? And that, like, just those two things don't correlate. High priests don't teach. Like, the high priest's responsibility was to teach, right? And here you got the, the, the apostles preaching the gospel, teaching the gospel, living faithfully, and the high priest is like, be silent. Like, they're doing his role, and he's stopping them from doing it. Didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? Look, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Man, they show their heart. The Sanhedrin right there in that moment just shows who they are. Two things, two issues we got here, right? The first is they're jealous of the movement. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, which is essentially this. Everyone's following after you. You're teaching everybody, and they believe it. So that's jealousy because of how many people are following after them. But the second is the content. The content is this. The Sanhedrin crucified Jesus. I say that because the Sanhedrin is the one that's frustrated with them. And they're sitting there going, you're telling everybody that we killed Jesus. Logical. Okay, what's logical again? Think about this with me. What's logical? What should Peter do in this moment? He's been taken to jail. He's got the people in front of him that killed Jesus. The most logical thing to do in this moment is to say, we're sorry. We shouldn't have made people think that you killed Jesus. Like, let us go. Set us free. So the chief priests accused them, but he, you can see into his heart, he's jealous, all these different things. And this is what Peter says back to him. Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than people. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had murdered by hanging him on a tree. God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And do you see it there? He says, we're going to obey God and not man. But here's what you did. This is like Peter, what Peter's doing. We're going to obey God, not man. And then he goes, you obeyed man by putting Jesus on a cross. We obey God who exalted Jesus to the highest of highest, to the place where no one else can be, our Lord and our Savior, God over all. Like, do you see that? Man's ways, God's ways. Man tries to step in and crucifies Jesus. God exalts him to the right hand. And Peter goes, why would I follow after you? You've been trying to kill Jesus. You've been trying to stop this movement. You can't do anything. You can't stop what God is doing in this. And I think that uh, one of the Sanhedrin members notices this. You can't stop what God's doing. So verse 33, when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them because humility enrages pride. Pride kills, humility saves, humility will save, but pride will enrage when they see the good news of, of, of the gospel. So when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was respected by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be taken outside for a little while. Like, give us some space to talk. Gamaliel was a high, a high up leader. He had authority and uh, 
power in that group. Uh, he, he was the grandson of Hillel, who had a huge school uh, following of people who followed in their kind of theology and practice. Uh, Gamaliel uh, taught very widely, so a lot of people knew who he was. He also led Paul, so he had a lot of followers that had influence. Uh, he got to determine where di- when different calendar events happened. Like, this guy had a lot of status in the Sanhedrin. And when he steps up, he gets the apostles and Peter outside, maybe so they don't know what he's about to say um, because of the content. But verse 35, he, he said to them, Men of Israel, be careful about what you're about to do to these men. Some time ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be someone, somebody, and a group of about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed and came to nothing. So first situation... Thutis rises up. He's kind of like uh, they, they, they had tons of people who claimed to be Messiah back then. So he may have claimed to be a Messiah type person or just to, to lead a revolt or something. But he raises up and apparently 400 people follow after him. But then he was killed and all his followers dispersed and kind of everything just went to nothing. Right? So second scenario. After this man, Judas, verse 37, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and attracted a following. He also perished, and all his followers were scattered. So you see, you see this like a, a, a pattern, right? A, a trend for, for those who raise up. They would have a lot of followers, and then once that person died, the followers would disperse and just kind of be quiet again. So Gamaliel sees this trend, and he says to the people, he says, verse 38, So in the present case, I tell you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan or this work is of human origin, it will fail. But if, if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even be found fighting against God. What Peter saw was that men were trying to kill Jesus, but God rose him up from the dead and seated him as his son, the Lord and Savior over all. Gamaliel comes back and he goes, men were trying to do these things, but if it is of God, it will last. If it's of man, it won't last. Gamaliel sees what Peter sees, and they all come together to say, let's see what the church can do. This series is all about an unstoppable God with an unstoppable plan who's using an unstoppable church. Let's see what the church can do. Let's see what Peter and the apostles can do with this, Gamaliel says. Now, it's interesting. They were, uh, they were all, <clears throat> verse 39, it says, But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may, you may even be found fighting against them. And they were all, uh, they were persuaded by him. So the Sanhedrin was persuaded by this. So they're going to do it. They're going to do this plan. But verse 40 says, After they called in the apostles and had them flogged. And it's kind of like, I thought you said you were going to let them go and see what happens, but instead you flog them, right? I think as Christians, we need to take, take this like, we need to recognize this. Just because your government or leaders or other countries or whoever it may be, just because someone says, yeah, you can be a church or yeah, you can have freedom or yeah, you can do your thing, doesn't mean it's going to be an easy pass. Just because we have freedom to express who we are, what we believe, and all these different things doesn't mean it's going to come without some persecution and suffering, without some people disagreeing with us. We shouldn't be surprised when we face suffering and persecution. And so this is how it happens. It says they were flogged. They ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and release them. So it's kind of like pressuring them. Like, if you go preach, we're going to flog you again. You go preach, we're going to flog you again. We're going to throw you in jail. We're going to persecute you. We're going to hurt you. Just be quiet. This was their attempt to silence Peter and the apostles. 
But in verse 41, it says, Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. I mean, you got to, like Peter, you just kind of set yourself in Peter's shoes. And Peter watched Jesus live a life of being persecuted, suffering, people following after him, then, then certain people rejecting him. But Jesus was faithful. Peter saw that. He heard Jesus say, you must take up your cross. He heard Jesus say in John 15 that the world hated Jesus, and so they would hate them too. The disciples heard in the Sermon on the Mount that blessed are those who are persecuted. The disciples heard it. They saw it. They witnessed everything that took place. And then Peter who denies Jesus three times, and then Jesus is on the cross, dies, buried in the tomb, raises from the dead, and all of a sudden Peter sees Jesus raised from the dead. And I think it's like this. When we know that the dead, the dead come to life, like in baptism, we know that we will not experience death forever, that this is our worst hell here. We know that hell will not endure forever, but we have heaven and life forever. When we know all of these things, it's like, yeah, I expect persecution. I expect suffering. I expect to be rejected because so is Jesus. But at the end of the cross, Jesus was seated on his throne. I mean, like, that's what Peter knows. That's what Peter believes. And so he counted it as worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. Verse 42. Every day in the temple and in various homes... They continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. We're going to flog you so you'll be quiet. And that's from the high priest who should have been the loudest one in there. And what do the apostles do? They go and preach. I have no clue if I shared this illustration with you guys because this is third service. But I'm going to tell you it anyways. You know, when you have a, a, a candle, like at birthday, at birthdays, the way you put out that candle is what? How does everybody put it out? Yeah, you blow on it, and it puts it out. Like, seeing your happy birthdays, you put out your 25 or however many candles you have on there. You blow it out, and now the fire is gone, right? All right, how about this? You build a fire. You got, like, six pretty good-sized pieces of wood in it that you split, and you put them in there. You got a nice little fire going. What happens when you blow on that fire? It gets bigger. You don't put out a fire with air. You make it grow with air. But you can put out a little candle. And so when Peter and the apostles receive this persecution, it's meant to put it out. But like a fire, when you blow on it, it grows and grows and grows. And the church grows and grows and grows. And they preach the gospel. And it says they meet in various homes and continue to preach and preach and preach. And I pray that we would be, we'd be like Peter and the apostles, that when persecution and suffering comes, that we don't get blown out, but we get inflamed. We go harder. We preach longer. We make more disciples. We care for more people. And we see God move throughout the world. That's what persecution does. You see, persecution isn't something that blows out a candle. It's something that lights up a fire. And so for Peter and the apostles, they saw a couple things, a couple truths that I want you to walk away with today. First, Humility saves. 
The people that come to Jesus, and we talked about this last week, but I want to I want to show you it again here. Humility saves and pride enrages and kills people. Literally, pride was leading to death. Like it says, it says they were enraged to the point where they wanted to kill the apostles. Like you may say, well, pride doesn't kill. No, pride, this this pride eventually puts itself in a position where it kills. You see, humility comes and says, I I don't have anything except what Jesus has because I have nothing to give. We talked about this last week. The only thing I have is Jesus. I have nothing. I have in me, there's anger and jealousy and envy and pride and all these different things. In me, that's what I have. What does Jesus have? Like, that's what I want. But humility says, "I, I don't have what I need. I'm looking to Jesus. Pride says, I've got it all together. Pride, not even that, pride also says this, that if anybody tries to have what I have, shut them down. Pride kills, humility saves. Jesus was humble to the point where he took the cross. These religious leaders wouldn't even humble themselves to say they were wrong about killing the Messiah. Our question this morning is this, are your ways, are your decisions Is your path in life right now following after what God has for you? Or are you going against what God has and causing conflict and trying to thwart God's plan for your life and for those around you? I mean, you've got to analyze. Like, you've got to look into this. You can't tell me, like, these guys thought they were the religious elite. They thought they were protecting the church. They thought they were doing right. Sometimes in our lives, we may think what we're doing is right. We've got to look inside and say, God, am I going where you want me? Am I saying what you want me to say? Am I with the people? Am I friends with the people that I'm supposed to be around? Am I in the right career? Like all of this on the table and say, God, what do you want from me? Not what do I want? Because man's plans, they always mess up. Throwing people in jail when they shouldn't. Putting people on a cross when they shouldn't be there. Flogging people they shouldn't be flogging. And not even preaching. Like that's man's ways. God's ways are setting the captives free. God's ways are exalting his son to be the Lord and Savior over all. So apply this to your life. As the band comes, I'm, I want you to dig into your life right now, and I want to ask you a couple questions from these three things. Humility saves, pride enrages. For, for any situation that you are in, if pride is, is, pride is kind of the root of where you are, it's always going to suppress and hate and push down others. So humility saves, pride enrages. And third, what I want you to be dealing with and wrestling with this week is what in your life are you doing that is not part of God's plan for you? And so here's, here's some, I, I hope this helps you. I, I, I hope you can dig into it this way. In your family or in your friends, ask yourself these questions because this comes straight from Peter and the apostles. Am I, am I fighting something that God is doing in me? Am I suppressing something that God is doing in someone else? So two things so far. Fighting what God is doing in me. Suppressing what God is doing in someone else, usually from jealousy, pride, envy, something of that nature, or, or not repenting or not wanting to repent. 
And then if your friends or your family or someone is following after God, not only suppressing what God has for them, but are you trying to get them to come to what you, what you are doing? So that's temptation. So look at it this way. You can let God do something in your life. You can stop somebody, stop what God is doing in another person's life, or you can bring them into what you're doing, which is not right. I would challenge you to be like Peter and Gamaliel. Let's say, man, if it's of God, let it go. If it's of man, shut it down. I think we so often in our lives shut down what God's doing and lift up what man's doing. So ask yourself in your life, is there anything that's going on in your life that God is doing that you are suppressing? Is there anything in your family's life, your friend's life that you're stopping, shutting down, ending? Is there anything that you're tempting other people to come with you and do something that you shouldn't be doing? I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. We're going to I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over you, and this, the worship team is going to sing a blessing over you. You can stay seated. You can uh, just stay in an attitude of prayer. Um, you can pray this over your children. You place your hand on your children or a friend around you and, and join us in blessing one another. This is literally going to be just a time of us blessing and praying for one another through this song called The Blessing. We're just going to pray over one another. So let me... Let me challenge you and pray for you as we go into this song. Father, teach us what it means to live faithful like Peter and the apostles. Teach us what it means to follow after your ways and not man's ways. And I pray, Father, in the midst of all that, like Peter and the apostles and like your son, Jesus Christ, that you will bless even when it feels difficult, that you will bless with joy and endurance and hope in the midst of our trials and pain. God, as this song says, amen. I pray, amen. Let it be. Whatever you have, let it be, Father. Whatever you want for us, make it come to fruition. Like, bring it about in our lives, Father. I'm asking right now that you would... You would tell someone in this room, speak to someone in this room from this message or you speaking into their heart, Father, I'm, I'm asking that you would speak into someone's life right now to show them a direction that you have for them, to correct course or to encourage them on the path that they're already choosing. But I pray that there would be nobody in this room, God. Would you, would you convict us and compel us, God? Would you convict us if we are following after our own ways? And would you compel us to follow after your way? God, show us, teach us, reveal something in our hearts. And Father, I pray this blessing over this group that there are so many in this room, God, that I know that are pursuing after your way. So Father, I pray that you would just continue to bless them, push them on. When the world is flogging them and sending them to jail and suppressing them like the high priest, I pray, God, that you would be the one that is igniting their flame helping them to stand firm in the midst of every trial. So Father, we pray a prayer of blessing from you, the God who can only give what we need, and that is life, freedom, and forgiveness. 
with your eyes closed, I want to share with you a quick word. Just everybody, kind of in this attitude of prayer as we go to, we're going to, bl- we're going to bless you with a song in God's grace. When I was 17 years old, I graduated from high school and my parents gave me a guitar. I didn't even know how to play guitar at the time. But my parents gave me a guitar and I was sort of confused, sort of liked it, but my dad saw something in me that I didn't see in me. And through the years, my dad has prayed for me. He prays a, he prays a prayer of blessing every Sunday morning for me. As he goes to preach and I go to preach, he prays for me. So as we pray this prayer of blessing over you, I want you to take in your mind something. Somebody, maybe maybe it's like 10, 15 years down the road, but like that guitar, my, God, my dad saw a plan for me that God had for me. Maybe for your life, you see somebody and you say, man, I see something in you. I'm going to pray this blessing over you so that God would see something happen in your life. And I just want to give you an illustration of this and tell you something super special I'm going to be praying for during this time. One of my best friends in this room is headed off to get his master's. And I'm so proud of him. But I want you to think about this. Chris is headed to California, our drummer, and I love him. I'm proud of him. I know he's going to go extend God's grace into California. But like me and my dad praying over me, now it's my turn to pray over Chris and to pray over Brecken. So if you will in this moment, man, if that means you just getting up and laying hands on somebody, a younger person, an older person, somebody you see potential in to serve God's kingdom in this church or anywhere, maybe you need to call somebody or text somebody and just say, man, I'm praying for you. We need each other. And like Peter and the apostles, we need each other through prayer and preaching to unite together and to say, even though the high priests are coming against us, even though they're fighting and they're putting us in jail and flogging us and all these different things, there are Chris's that stand firm. There are dads that pray for their sons even 10, 15 years before they're seeing it come to fruition. And in this room, I believe there are future servants of God's kingdom. And downstairs in our children's ministry, I believe there are future servants of God's kingdom. And I believe there are people in this room that have been running away from God, choosing man's ways, who are future servants of God's kingdom, who are going to be raised up to preach the gospel and proclaim it throughout all the nations. There are Chris's and Matt's sitting in this room. There are future Breckens sitting in this room. Please hear this prayer of blessing over you as a challenge, as we say, amen, that it means so let it be, God. Whatever your will is, let it be. Not man's ways, not high priest's ways, not even parents' ways, not brothers' and sisters' ways, not this culture's ways, but God, let your way be done. So let it be, Father.
being here again. I, I apologize somewhat for the emotion. I, it's, a, it's a really cool thing, and I hope you'll, you'll understand. When I look out and I see Ben, an intern of ours that we've been able to send out, and you see Chris, who's going to California in the midst of a place where it's sometimes tough to be a Christian, and I know he's going to be strong. When I think about Sophie, who this is her first Sunday representing Christ and Messiah. When I think about Joy and Casey, young adults spreading throughout the world. And it's launching out of this church. I just get a little emotional. And I hope that we can just pray a prayer of blessing over one another continually to encourage one another to keep going. Stay strong in California and D.C. and wherever you go, fight for the gospel. Fight for God's way to be true. Amen. I pray you guys have a great week. Remember, you are sent in the midst of darkness to light it up. We love you. You have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more about following after Jesus, uh, please contact us and we would love to talk more about your relationship with Christ and how you can grow in your spiritual journey.